or far from home is for the better. What we dream, it's all that matters. We're on our way, united. Turn the crowd up now, we'll never back down. Shoot down a skyline, watch it on prime time. Turn up the love now, listen up now. Turn up the love. Who's gonna say? Book 26 The Attack Prologue The dream came again, as real as it always was. The yerk was in my head once more. He was starved of Controna rays, weakening, failing. I was watching him die. The yerk cried in pain again and again, and the memory visions came floating up as clear as if they had all just happened. They were visions of the Yurk's life, and the lingering memories he had stolen from his hosts. One of those hosts had been my own brother, Tom. I felt each of those minds in my own as the Yurk gave up on his life. I was the caretaker of those memories of despair. At the end, the Yurk was no longer in pain. He was beyond pain. I opened my eyes and looked at Cassie. It happened so naturally. I opened my eyes by my own will for the first time since I'd been infested. And then, for the first time in more than an hour, the Yurk spoke. So, you win, human. The Yurk shuddered. I could feel it as a physical spasm. My vision changed, and I felt something impossible to describe. I felt as if I were seeing through things, into things. Like I could see the front and back, and top and bottom, and inside of everything, all at once. It was as if I had slipped out of the normal world. Out of the real universe. I was in a different reality. I was peeking through a tear in a movie screen. On the surface, the three-dimensional movie, my world, played. Beyond it, something my mind could not comprehend. In my dream... My dream of memory. I felt the terror grow. I knew what was coming next. I writhed in my sleep, twisting my sheets around me. Wake up! Wake up! But I could not wake up. I never could. Not till the dream was complete. And so, I saw it again. A creature. Or a machine. Some combination of both. It had no arms. It sat still, as if it were bolted down, on a throne that was miles high. It could not move, and yet the power that flowed from it was like a hurricane of energy. Its head was a single eye. The eye turned slowly, left, right. I trembled. I prayed it would not look my way. And then, it saw me. The eye, 
the blood-red eye looked straight at me, through me. It saw me. It saw me. No. No! I cried in silent terror. I tried to look away, but my eyelids were transparent. My head would not twist far enough to avoid its gaze. It spoke the single word it spoke only in my dreams. And now, at last, I could awaken, shaking in a sweat-soaked bed. Why? Why would this dream not go away? I'd had other nightmares, other awful memories of fear and violence that needed to be exercised in my dreams. But they had each faded, while this dream came again and again. I got up and staggered into the bathroom. I snapped on the glaring fluorescent light. Then I stepped to the sink and looked at my face, my head. Yes, the Yurka died there, in that head. My head. It had been right then as the Yurk disengaged and began to crawl out of me. Right then as death closed its jaws around the Yurk, that the eye had found me. It had seen me. And I had seen it. Then, and again in my nightmares. Again and again. And each time, it spoke that single, voiceless word. Soon. Chapter 1 My name is Jake. Who am I? Sometimes I wonder. I'm a kid. A middle school kid. A kid with classes to attend and homework to do, and friends to hang with, and parents. I am just an average kid, at least on the surface. Normal. Boring, even. I'm not especially good at school. I do okay. I'm no great athlete. I'm not some kind of genius. Just a kid. If you saw me at the mall, you wouldn't think there was anything remarkable about me. But there is. Swimming around in my blood is the DNA of dozens of animals. Birds, insects, mammals. The DNA floats there, encapsulated, waiting for my own mind to call it up. And when I do, when I ask the DNA to go to work, it does in the most amazing and impossible way. It transforms me. It changes me into the animal, into the bird or insect. I shrink or grow. I lose or gain strength. My limbs, my organs, my face, my eyes, all change. I become that creature. My own mind continues to function. I am still me, but the animal mind is in there with me, too. And it functions, too. So, anyway, about now you're thinking, Oh, he's psychotic. He's delusional. He should be in a rubber room with an IV dripping tranquilizers. I'm not crazy. It's real. It happens. Not just to me, but to my friends. Marco, my main man. Rachel, my cousin, the war goddess. Cassie, the girl I care about more than I do myself. Tobias, the friend I couldn't save from his own bizarre fate. And Axe. An Andalite. An alien. It's the Andalites who invented the morphing technology. Only they have it. Only they can take an otherwise normal creature and give him the power to become any creature. 
Yeah, now I'm talking about aliens. Crazy and crazier, right? But that part's true too. Earth is being invaded. Not openly. Not with Dracon beams blazing and quantum explosives going off. That would be counterproductive. That's how humans might do it. Fast and hard and obvious. But the Yurks aren't like us. They don't want our land or our resources. They don't want our pitiful, backward technology. They want us. Us. Or at least our bodies. They want our legs and hands. They want our ears and mouths. They want our eyes. In their natural state, Yurks are slugs who live in a liquid pool and absorb conjona rays for food. But evolution played an interesting trick with the Yurks. Slowly, over the course of millennia, they grew to be a parasite species. They found the Geds, another species on the Yurk homeworld. And over time, they learned to penetrate into the very brain of the Geds. Gross? Weird? There's a species of wasp that lays its eggs in the living body of a caterpillar. When the wasps are born, they feed on the caterpillar. They eat the living caterpillar alive from the inside. That's on good old Earth. So, what's weird? Anyway, the Yurks expanded. From Geds to hork to Taxons to... Us. Now they are here. And now they are taking over human hosts. Entering their brains. Controlling them. Rendering them utterly helpless. I know. I was a controller. I'd still be a controller, except that my friends saved me and starved the Yurk to death. Not the first Yurk death on my hands. Not the last. We fight this war almost alone, me and my friends. We've learned of a race of androids called the Chi, who help us from time to time. We've learned that not all Yurks agree with the policy of expansion throughout the universe. And we know that off in space, outnumbered, outgunned, are the Andalites, fighting to push back the Yurk tide. But most days and nights, we are alone. Even with other people all around us, we are alone. Assembly. Not a pep rally, not a drug lecture, not a ceremony honoring anyone. This was different and, actually, fairly cool. The Lion King, the stage show, was in town. Some of the performers were there on the stage of our little auditorium to give a mini-show. A lot of kids had groaned when it was announced. You know, it was a lot of be-quiet-sit-still time. Not to mention the fact that it seemed a little young for us. Me? I like quiet and still. Didn't used to. But now, I guess any time I get to sit quietly. No running. No morphing. No terror. No screams, no horrible decisions, and horrible aftermath. I can handle sitting still and listening to music, and watching big giraffes gallop around on stage. I was about fifteen rows back. Marco was in the row ahead of me to the left. I could see the side of his head, and he knew it, so he was amusing himself by twitching ears in time to the music. I didn't want to smile, but it was just so idiotic it was funny. Marco, naturally, was hoping I'd snort or giggle so he could turn around and shush me, full of righteous indignation.
Cassie and Rachel were four rows behind me and to the right. I was pretty sure Cassie was asleep. Cassie lives an amazing life. School, the wildlife rehabilitation clinic where she works helping injured animals, and, of course, being one of us, which is a full-time job. Rachel had a kind of dreamy look on her face. You'd have thought she was enjoying the show. Only, I noticed the guy sitting next to her was trying to hold her hand. And that dreamy look was Rachel wondering which of the guy's fingers she should break. I looked back at the show. It was a pretty good show. I heard a stifled yelp of pain coming from four rows back and to the right. That familiar Circle of Life song started up, and Disney animals were cavorting and singing, and the music was swelling, and Marco's ears were going nuts, and a wounded male voice was saying, Jeez, you almost broke my finger. And then, it all stopped. All of it. Every sound. Silence. The music. Silence. The actors in their incredible costumes. Frozen. The auditorium full of kids. Dead still. The only things moving were Marco's ears. The only sound was Rachel saying, Almost? Reach back over here again and I'll... Frozen. Still. Motionless. Everything and everyone. Except the four of us. Chapter 2 Slowly, cautiously, I stood up. I looked at Rachel. Wake Cassie up, I whispered. Rachel stood up and shoved Cassie's shoulder. I'm awake, I'm awake, Cassie said, eyes snapping open. She yawned, then stopped in mid-yawn and forgot to close her mouth. Well, this is unusual, Marco said. Did someone hit the pause button? I was looking at the eerie spectacle of the stage players, frozen, some in mid-leap, just hanging in the air, when a blur of feathers simply appeared. The red-tailed hawk flared its wings, yelled, Ah! Banked hard right, saw me, saw all of us, and landed at the edge of the stage. Is he here yet? Tobias demanded, wrapping talons around the lip of the stage. I shook my head, confused. Who? Was who here yet? One of the animals on stage moved. Only, it was not a Disney animal. It had the body of a blue deer, the upper torso of a boy, a mouthless face topped by two extra eyes on movable stalks, and a tail that could snap and leave you counting in base five. Axe froze. Then he darted forward, moving away from the fake animals. Stalk eye swiveling, tail arched, ready to strike. It's okay, Axe, I said. I think. The Elemist, Tobias said. Marco nodded. I don't know anyone else who can just stop time whenever he wants. Unless it's the new math teacher. So, where is he? Rachel demanded. Wherever he wants to be, Marco muttered darkly. We had encountered the creature or creatures, who could tell, called the Elemist, several times. He, she, it, they, was to humans and Andalites and Yurks, what humans were to ants. I felt like an ant right about then, 
small and powerless, with a couple hundred kids frozen around me. It's like they'd been videotaped one minute, a still photograph the next. It felt wrong to look at them, like I was some kind of peeping Tom. I met Cassie's gaze. Her dark eyes were cautious, but not scared. The Elemist had never hurt us. He'd helped us, always while pretending to do nothing. Or at least by living within his own incomprehensible set of rules. One of the kids stood up. I jumped about two feet in the air. It was this girl named Beth. No one else moved. Just Beth. She smiled at me, at us, and I knew right away. Yes, it is I, Beth said. The Elemist? Cassie asked. Beth nodded. Where's the big voice and the quick-change bodies and all? Rachel demanded. I have chosen this form for a reason, the Elemist said in the girl's voice. I come today on a humble mission. I wanted a humble form, one that would not evoke feelings of dread or awe or reverence from you. He spread Beth's hands wide, palms up. He moved away and I saw that the real Beth was still frozen in her seat. The Elemis had not taken her body, just her image. After all, he wasn't a yerk. The Elemis calmly walked through several rows of chairs, and the bodies in them, simply passed through them like they were air. He stood in the space between the front row and the stage, down by Tobias. Axe came up behind him, moving with the unnatural liquid grace Andalites have, when they are preparing to fight. Andalites don't like the Elemist. He's a figure from the scary stories they tell around campfires, or whatever. I gave Axe a little look, just a take-it-easy look. He relaxed about three hairs. Okay, so you're just a regular girl, Rachel said sarcastically. No big show, aside from the fact that you froze time and all. This is as humble as I know how to be. The Elemist said. I come to... He hesitated. I come to tell you a story and see how you would choose to react. Oh good, a story, Marco said. Is it a musical too? Will there be any Hakuna Matata involved? You have to understand, it's not that we weren't scared. We were scared. But we'd been scared by people who wanted to kill us. This was just creeped out scared. We ate creeped out for breakfast now. Beth's face smiled. She had braces. I will tell you a story. You will tell me the ending. Chapter 3 The Elemis looked down at the girl's hands. Once we had hands. Not much different from these. He smiled. But that was a long time ago. Almost a billion of your years. We evolved as all living things do. Some faster, some slower. We were among the first sentient species, but we evolved slowly. Still, given enough time, even slow change can become profound. Back when all Earth could boast were a few simple single-celled animals, we were beginning to watch the night sky and understand the movements of our own planet. We learned and grew powerful. By the time worms first crawled in the mud of Earth, we were traveling in faster-than-light ships. And when the first dinosaurs walked, we... We had become much as I am today. 
You'd become a girl with braces? Marco said. The Elemis looked surprised. He showed the braces in a grin. The Andalites could do with some of the human sense of humor, the Elemis said. Axe scuffed a front hoof against the stage floor, a gesture of annoyance. And if the Yurks had any sense of humor at all, they wouldn't be the scourge they are, the Elemist added. Markle looked more abashed than proud. The smart remark had just popped out of him. I don't think he'd consciously planned to poke fun at a being who could not only annihilate Marco, but all memory of him, his family, and his ancestors, going back through a thousand generations. The Elemist continued. We watched the rise of other species throughout the galaxy. Helped at times, when we could. We wanted companions. We wanted to learn. We imagined a galaxy filled with millions of sentient species, each with its own science and art, its own beauty. But it wasn't to be that simple. Approximately a hundred million Earth years ago, we became aware of a new force in the galaxy. Not a species, an individual. He was a fugitive from another galaxy, chased out of that galaxy by a power even greater than he. Greater than me. I thought you were all-powerful, Rachel said. The Elemis smiled. No, I seem so only from your limited perspective. I looked around the room. Time was stopped. Leaping dancers hung in midair. The dust particles in the air were standing still. A kid named Joey had been sneaking a ho-ho. Someone must have made him laugh because his mouth was open, smiling, and a piece of ho-ho was dangling off his lower lip. Dangling and never falling. Powerful enough, I thought. I don't want to meet the guy who can kick the Elemis' butt. This new force, this individual, began to make its presence known in our galaxy. And he had different ideas from ours. He sees a universe of conflict, pain, and terror. He craves fear. Not his own, of course, but the fear of others. He's a strange perfectionist, in a way. The Elemist had grown thoughtful. Perplexed, almost. Hard to picture when you were looking at Beth's bangs and the zit on her chin. But I knew who he was and what he was. And I guess I've had to get past judging anyone by looks. In a world where anyone could be a controller, you begin to realize just how irrelevant looks are. He wants a galaxy cleansed of creation. His goal, I soon realized, is to destroy life. His method is to use one species against another, stronger destroying weak, and then strong in turn being destroyed by the stronger still. He believes that there should only be one species, a single sentient race, which would be subjugated by him. What is this guy, a Nazi? Cassie said. Beth's curl shook as the Elemis nodded. In the moral sense, yes. But he has different visions of what constitutes total power. He wants to be able to control the strands of space-time itself. Not merely to see them and understand them, but to hold them in his fist and dictate the very laws of physics in nature. To recreate the galaxy in his own image, and someday to spread his power throughout all galaxies and destroy the one power greater than himself. Great, Morko said grimly. Can we go back to the Lion King now? He is called the Kryak, the Elemis said. And then he looked right at me. And I knew before he spoke the words. You have seen him. 
and he has seen you. The eye, the armless half-creature, half-machine. One by one, my friends looked at me, challenging, questioning, neutral, skeptical, compassionate. When the yurt died in your brain, you peered across the line between life and death. You broke the dimensional hold that binds humans to things beyond themselves, the Elemis said. And in that moment, Cryax saw you. He saw that I had made myself known to you, that I had touched you, and he knew that you must, therefore, play some part in my plans. Cryak. The nightmare presence had a name. Cryak. The blood-red eye that watched me in my dreams. Soon, it had said. Soon. I felt a chill crawl through my body. Fear. The Elemist said Cryak enjoyed fear. Did he feel mine now? A hundred million years ago, we fought, Cryak and I, the Elemist said. And suddenly, the auditorium was gone. We stood in black, empty space, and the Elemist was no longer a little girl, but a brilliant light. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to the episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, here we are. New book, new story. Uh, heavy on the Elemist, introducing the Cryak officially. A lot of exciting stuff happening here. We're about to go on to a Marvel's Battle, Battle World Secret Wars situation. Uh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, in the meantime, I do have a message from Becky, who wrote in on the, uh, on my website's contact form. That website is theapodcalypse.com. Apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. I almost, almost forgot what I always say there. But anyway, Becky writes in and says, Hey Daniel, me again, haha. Just wondering if you had a playlist, uh, that had all the songs from each book. The little song snipper you play at the beginning of each episode. I tried looking, but couldn't find one. I might try to make one and hopefully put them in order of the book the song, uh, coincides with. I think it would be really fun. Songs are like memories, and if I hear a song, it would make me think of the book or a certain part of, part or character. If and when I get this done, I'll send you the Spotify link. Thanks, as always, for being an outstanding podcaster with a great voice. I, too, love your little extra Animorphs trivia. Thanks, Becky. Thank you so much for writing in, Becky. Um, great news for you. I actually do have a Spotify playlist, uh, but I am a bit of a Luddite when it comes to uh, Spotify. I believe I put a link to the playlist on uh, the Twitter, which is at Audiomorphs. It should be in the like Twitter description area, um, and I hope that works. Um, I think I did it right, but uh, I do have a list. You can certainly make your own as well if you'd like, um, and uh, write in if you just want like a, a written list of the songs. I can do that for you as well. Not a big deal. Um, also, because I have to figure out the song before I uh, finish editing these episodes... Um, just for you keen-eyed, uh, people who want a sneak peek, I, I usually do have the newest intro track, uh, added before the first episode of that book comes up to, uh, I guess you can get a little, little excited from that. Um, but also, yeah, uh, songs are like memories and that's actually why I chose to have, um, intro songs and to keep that outro song I use for all, all these speaking segments because, 
I've had that experience with podcasts where someone a podcast has used the same intro music for every episode of you know whatever whatever, um, and then I feel an immense sense of like nostalgia and and you know am reminded uh, of of a lot of like cool moments in in the podcast uh, because of that. So that's definitely why I started it. I'm glad it seems to be working for you, and thank you for writing in. Uh, so again, that uh, Spotify playlist should be in the description portion of uh, the Twitter, at Audiomorphs. Uh, if you'd like to write in like Becky, you can do that through the contact form like she did, but you can also do it through Gmail, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can do it uh, on Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And of course, you can just tweet at me on Twitter uh, once more, at Audiomorphs. Uh, you can also leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and I I do check those still. Um, and that's, that's all I got, I think. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, uh, but I did reply to someone on Twitter, but, um, I've heard, I've heard it. All right. The most consistent complaint I have is my Elemist uh, voice from, I think book seven or 13 was a little hard to understand. I got a little too lost in the sauce. Um, I, have never been happy with any of the uh, takes on the Elemist I've done. Um, I, I'm still figuring it out, so it might change again. But trust, um, I will 100% be uh, using restraint here. <laughs> uh, it, it will definitely be a peeled back voice, um, both for listenability and also uh, it takes less time. But I, I'm still trying to strike that balance between something that's easy for me to produce uh, easy for people to understand, but also contains that sort of like awe-inspiring, overwhelming uh, God voice that they describe in the book. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to best translate those that all text, uh, all, all text, all caps text, uh, into a a vocal uh effect. But uh, we'll see we'll see where it goes. Um, but trust me. Everyone who is worried, listenability is at the top of my mind. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.